Tom Woods Show, episode 1767. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. I've got a few items I want to share with you today. And the first one I wasn't even planning on until just now. I was just sitting down to record this episode, and I had gotten a Facebook message from an old friend from college. Uh, She is a physician, a very, very accomplished one, also an academic. She's somebody whose opinion I value very much and who has mostly disagreed with me. She thinks I make some good points, but mostly disagreed with me on the issue of the virus. And she wrote me a note saying that masks have been working for them and just wanted to, I think, get my thoughts. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to reveal her name, obviously, but I wanted to share with you what I wrote back to her because, as I say, this is a friend, but there's no way I can believe this or at least extrapolate from what's going on in a healthcare setting to all of society. So she says, um, I wanted to share that for those of us who have not shut down because you don't shut down healthcare, wearing masks and eye protection is working. We have six months without staff becoming infected at work. We're seeing patients in person if they want, by Zoom if they prefer. We are providing care people need and keeping patients safe. In a healthcare setting, masks work. In the school setting for us so far, this is Massachusetts, by the way, masks work. I understand the politicization of the mask by Trump. I don't understand why this common sense measure with good data behind it has become equated with far left liberals wanting to shut down society. We are using masks to stay as not shut down as possible, to get people out of their homes, kids to school for schooling, socialization, mental health benefits, and food. We wouldn't need mandates if people were willing to listen to common sense and local data. Where have we failed as a system such that so many people are not willing to give a no-harm, common-sense cloth mask approach a try in order to help limit viral spread and open up further? Where have we failed in science and medicine? Have we spent so much time all these years working and not effectively enough, uh, working and not effectively enough messaging, teaching in the public setting? This weighs on me as I see so many people working nonstop, risking their own lives at times and sacrificing time with their families, only to have leaders and a large portion of the public snub their efforts and discredit their intentions because vocal leaders say or imply that they should. You have mastered the art of the message. Are you interested in partnering with physicians and scientists to put forward a message that did not mock our professions, but that examined data critically and openly? So I responded this way. I'm glad to hear that things are going well. Here's one of numerous problems. There's no way you're wearing the kind of masks the general public is being urged to wear. If you were, I'd be shocked. Second, we've been told by the CDC director, no less, that if only we'd wear masks for six weeks, we could get this thing behind us. That is obviously false. I wish it were true. Why wouldn't I? I want to travel the world again. But the mask charts just don't bear this out. If these charts didn't tell you when the mask mandates were introduced, would you have been able to tell? Now, by the way, if you want to look at these mask charts, you'll find them at tomwoods.com COVID. And there's a new round of these charts now available at rationalground.com. So I shared the link with her of the charts. They're all over the place. There's no way you can tell me where the mask mandate was introduced. And, it, and, it, and it's, not, it's not the case that people aren't complying with the mask mandate or whatever. But people are masked all over the place, have been for months 
place after place. Anyway, let me, let me resume what I wrote. The UK has been very strict on masks since July 14th. I can name you a ton more such places. They've been wearing masks for months and months and barely living a human existence. And now the, quote, public health authorities are lecturing them for being bad. The whole thing is irrational at this point. The rain dance would have made the rain come if you stupid peasants had followed directions. I can show you graphs of four counties in Tennessee, one closed bars and limited restaurant capacity to an unsustainable 25%. If I asked you which graph depicted that county, you would not be able to tell me. If these mitigation measures worked the way we're told, there should be some clear indicator on the charts that it had been introduced. But I can show you states and countries with wildly divergent policies and yet more or less the same curve. I wish masks would solve the problem because so much of what brought my life joy has been taken from me and I would dearly love to get it back. As for schools, as far as I know, there is no documented case anywhere on earth of a teacher having COVID transmitted by a student. I am curious about the Sweden situation. Nobody can give me a straight answer. At most, 10% of the public wears masks and they've been at roughly zero deaths for months. The answer I get is their death rate was high. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but that's not the question I asked. The question is, how is it possible right now for them to be doing so well with nobody wearing masks? Oh, and they just lifted a bunch of restrictions on nursing homes because they decided it was barbaric and inhumane to think they were improving the lives of old people by deciding for them that they'd rather wave to their families through a window or see them over Zoom than to feel their actual embrace. They kept asking, what am I staying alive for at this point? A good question, and a question no public health official can answer for any of us. Then immediately afterward, I followed up with this. One other thing. Dr. Fauci himself admitted in July that PCR cycle thresholds of 35 and above were ridiculous and unhelpful and told us nothing. Months later, this is, of course, why I did an episode on this, a couple of episodes ago about the, the testing. Months later, we're still at 37 to 40. In Arizona, it's almost all 40. In some parts of Europe, it's 45. So Fauci evidently hasn't exactly been working day and night to solve this problem. Do you see now why people don't trust the so-called experts as much as you might like? The so-called experts can't even get their tests right. This would lead to mass firings in other professions. So I don't know if she's going to want to write to me anymore after that. (laughs) That's what I responded with because I have just had it. Just cannot take it anymore. All right. Now, the other thing I want to share with you, I guess I have a couple more things. I did an episode, I guess it was 1766 with Dominic Frisbee. I really, really think you should listen to that. If you haven't listened to it and you skipped that one, that's a mistake. He's fantastic. At the beginning of that episode, I thought he was going to be a little bit squishy on the virus, but as he kept talking, no, 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 he started sounding more and more like old Woods here. So that was great to hear. But it turns out that England locked down even more pretty much immediately after we recorded that episode. So... Okay, but 98% of the conversation still holds. So they've now they're going into this crazy hard lockdown, again, with no idea of what the end point is or what when this is ever going to stop or when we get a vaccine. There, maybe there's never a vaccine. And you hear some public health officials starting to say that. We, we might not have one. So wh- what does that mean then? We just can't make decisions for ourselves about our risk tolerance. Does that mean we never have theater again now? 
because there's a virus, we can't ever have theater or any of these other things that, you know, when your kids are growing up and they want to do ballet, no ballet for your kids anymore because there's a virus. What? This is crazy. Why are we alive then to sit home and stare at the wall? What is the point of any of this? Anyway, that's definitely an episode worth listening to. It turns out that now this was just reported, I believe, in the Daily Mail, that the data on which Boris Johnson made his decision for the hard lockdown was out of date. It was so out of date that it predicted that basically by today, England would be at 1,000 deaths a day. And instead, the other day, it was at 162. So it can't even predict the present, okay? And it was on the basis of this that he decided, let's try more of what we tried before and just keep on doing that. Just crazy, just absolutely crazy. So what I, I think the main thing I want to share with you, though, and I'll link to this at tomwoods.com slash 1767, uh, has to do with one of the signers of the so-called Great Barrington Declaration. Now, if you're listening to the Tom Woods Show and you don't know the Great Barrington Declaration yet, I don't know what to tell you. Other than I'm going to tell you about what it is right now. I did an episode on it a few weeks ago, and it's very, very important, gbdeclaration.org. It is a declaration drafted by three scientists uh, then co-signed by a bunch more, and then in the initial pass, and then it was thrown open to the general public, including other public health and uh, professionals and medical people in practice and so on. So at this point, in fact, let me check what the numbers are as of the time I'm doing this. It's well over 600,000 citizens approaching 12,000 medical and public health scientists and over 33,000 medical practitioners who have signed it. The three scientists, uh, the names will be familiar to people who follow this closely, uh, Sunitra Gupta of Oxford, Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford, and Martin Koldorf of Harvard Medical School. And the gist of it is that lockdowns obviously are barbaric, and they don't accomplish what, they, what the promises attached to them claim, and they ruin people's lives, and they hit the most vulnerable most of all, and they, they target the young. And so they have all these problems. And they go on to say that there has to be a better solution than what we've done up to now, and they call this focused protection. We take special care to keep an eye on uh, older people, and we, we come up with you know ingenious ways to do this so that in the meantime, I mean, the, the only way you get out of a virus of a situation like this is through herd immunity. So that's not like some strategy that we follow or whatever. That, that's the way the media puts it. It's not a strategy. It's a thing. Like, this is a fact. This is how, that's why you have a vaccine. The, even the vaccine people say we need the vaccine to achieve herd immunity. It's not that they're rejecting the idea of herd immunity. They reject the idea of herd immunity in the absence of a vaccine, uh, maybe. But they don't reject the idea of herd immunity that you get to a point where the virus basically can't proceed and the, the thing just burns out. And they're saying that, look, well, you don't know if there's going to be a virus, a, 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 a vaccine. I mean, you'll recall Koldorf's comment on my show where he said, um, the timetable on a vaccine is anywhere between six months from now and never. So you have to, <laughs> you have to at least be thinking in the meantime, what can we be doing that yields the fewest deaths but yet gets us to herd immunity. Well, obviously the indiscriminate lockdown isn't going to do that because that doesn't, that doesn't eradicate the virus. 
And then plus that applies the same policy to people of all ages, which just makes no sense at all from any standpoint. So given that there is no, we have to be adults here. There is no perfect solution, obviously. You know, there's a bad solution. There's a worse solution. There's no perfect solution. So let's be adults and realize that we obviously have to get to herd immunity at some point. So while we're waiting for a vaccine, if there ever is one, seems to be the way they're arguing, we might as well let the young people live their lives. They're at almost no risk. There are many, many things they are at far greater risk of, like dying in a car accident than they are of this. And they're not staying home because they're afraid of car accidents. So let them live. And as they live, they help to build up herd immunity. And let's do this as quickly as possible so that the older people can resume their lives as swiftly as possible. The current situation where we just keep locking people down, you can't do that forever, obviously. People are just going to give up and just resume their lives. So you can't do that forever. If we did this kind of approach, uh, we would be over the whole thing within three to six months. We would have herd immunity. He says, now we're getting to herd immunity, but we're doing it in a way that's killing people because we're, we're just indiscriminately locking down instead of selectively protecting. So that's kind of the gist of what they're saying in the Great Barrington Declaration. It's obviously just common sense. And what's interesting about it is, I presume that Jay Bhattacharya may be right of center simply because he's at the Hoover Institution at Stanford, and that tends to be right of center. But Koldorf, I'm pretty sure, is on the left, and Professor Gupta just comes right out and says, my politics are left-wing. So this is not some right-wing conspiracy of Ayn Rand followers who just want to see people die, you know, the typical caricature. It's not that at all. So she wrote, Professor Gupta wrote a column for the Daily Mail in the UK. And the headline is, A Contagion of Hatred and Hysteria. Oxford epidemiologist Professor Sunitra Gupta tells how she has been intimidated and shamed for backing shielding instead of lockdown. Hey, everybody, let's take a quick break to thank our unbelievable sponsor, Skillshare. Even in this terrible year of 2020, something like Skillshare reminds us what a miracle it is to be alive at this time in history. And if you think that's hyperbole, Skillshare is an amazing online learning community where you can acquire all kinds of amazing marketable skills, but also just explore your creativity. With just one membership, you get access to their entire collection of thousands and thousands of classes in everything ranging from business to writing to photo and film to design to animation, you name it. These are skills that can make you a more indispensable employee that can even be the basis of a side hustle or even your own business. Or even, as with my daughters I've featured in Skillshare promotions before, just contributing to your own personal enrichment by becoming better, more skilled in some hobby or interest. I recently took a very interesting class by Ali Abdal, Productivity Masterclass, Principles and Tools to Boost Your Productivity, by one of the most productive people I've ever seen, who also doesn't seem frazzled and seems happy. So I learned that that's possible. <laughs> Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash woodsfree, and the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. That's a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership for the first 1,000 people who go to Skillshare.com slash woodsfree. So let me share a bit of this with you. She says, lockdown is a blunt, indiscriminate policy that forces the poorest and most vulnerable people to bear the brunt of the fight against coronavirus. As an infectious disease epidemiologist, I believe there has to be 
a better way. And then she says, so that's why earlier this month with two other international scientists, she co-authored this Great Barrington Declaration that outlines an alternative approach. And she said, I expected debate and disagreement about our ideas. I would welcome that as a scientist. And she said, but I was utterly unprepared for the onslaught of insults, personal criticism, intimidation, and threats that met our proposal. The level of vitriol and hostility, not just from members of the public online, but from journalists and academics, has horrified me. And she says, politics does not appeal to me at all. I'm not a politician. I do have political ideals, ones that I would describe as inherently left-wing. And then she goes on to say, but this is not a political phenomenon. It's a public health issue. So it is I am aghast to see a political rift open up about it. And she says, at the heart of our proposal is the recognition that mass lockdowns cause enormous damage. And by the way, sometimes I'm quoting her directly, sometimes I'm paraphrasing. And she says, we're already seeing the effects of lockdown policies on people. And the results have been terrible. And then she says, I've also been concerned that lockdowns are just delaying the inevitable spread of the virus. So we should be taking protective measures and targeting them at specific vulnerable groups. She says, now, of course, there will be challenges, uh, such as where people are being cared for in their own multi-generational family homes. Now, they do have an article, by the way, the three of them, where they take on some of these objections, like what do you do about people in multi-generational homes? So I'll link to their response to these sorts of, of arguments also at tomwoods.com slash 1767. So that's really where you want to go to get all this stuff that I'm talking about. She says, now look, I don't claim that I have all the answers, but I'd like my ideas to be discussed and thrashed out thoroughly. And she says, this is why I found it so frustrating that people who support lockdown have just wanted to shut down discussion. And she says, it is perplexing to me that so many refuse even to consider the potential benefits of allowing non-vulnerable citizens, such as the young, to go about their lives and risk infection when in doing so, they would build up herd immunity and thereby protect the lives of vulnerable citizens. And then she says that this is, you know, there's just a refusal to cherish the scientific method. When she goes, she went on a, a, a radio program and she was told just before it went on that she was not to mention the Great Barrington Declaration. And this sort of thing has happened more than once that she's practically given up on Twitter because it's, it's just ridiculous. She says, this pandemic is an international crisis to shut down the discussion with abuse and smears. That, and not our ideas, is what is truly dangerous. And she says that she's been accused of indulging in policy-based evidence-making. In other words, drumming up facts to fit our ideological agenda. And that ideology, according to some people, is right-wing libertarian extremism. So there, there, she points out that on Wikipedia, it's claimed that the Great Barrington Declaration was funded by a right-wing think tank with links to climate change deniers. And she says, it should be obvious to anyone that writing a short proposal and posting it on a website requires no great financing. <laughs> Hello, right? And then she says this, but let me spell it out since apparently I have to. I did not accept payment to co-author the Great Barrington Declaration. Money has never been the motivation in my career. It hurts me profoundly that anyone who knows me or has even a passing professional acquaintance could believe for a minute that I would accept a clandestine payment for anything. 
And then she goes on and elaborates on that. And then she says that I've been accused of being merely a theoretical epidemiologist and not having the right expertise. And she says, in fact, within my research group, we have a thriving laboratory that was one of the first to develop an antibody test for the coronavirus. And then this is very helpful. And also this is stuff I'll link to again at tomwoods.com slash 1767. If you're interested in looking at it, she says that she's encouraged that there's a groundswell of movement seeking to give a voice to those like me who believe that the collateral damage of lockdown can be worse than the virus itself. And the three she names are Us For Them, which I actually haven't looked at yet, Pandata 19. We talked to the, the head of Panda, which is uh, Pandemic Data and Analytics. Uh, and uh, that was Nick Hudson on a, a recent episode. Uh, and The Price of Panic, not the book by Jay Richards. And we had Jay Richards on to talk about that. Uh, this is an unrelated website. Uh, that website just, just links you to story after story after story after story about the human damage done by lockdown. So I'm going to have all these resources at tomwoods.com slash 1767. And then she finishes with this. Lockdown is a luxury of the affluent, something that can be afforded only in wealthy countries, and even then only by the better-off households in those countries. She says, one way to go about shifting our perspective would be to catalog all the ways in which lockdowns across the world are damaging societies. At present, I am collaborating with a number of colleagues to do just this under the banner collateralglobal.org. So that's another resource I'll put on the show notes page. She says, the simple truth is that COVID-19 will not just go away if we continue to impose enough meaningless restrictions on ourselves. Hmm. And the longer we fail to recognize this, the worse will be the permanent economic damage, the brunt of which, again, will be borne by the disadvantaged and the young. When I signed the Great Barrington Declaration on October 4th, I did so with fellow scientists to express our view that national lockdowns won't cure us of COVID. Clearly, none of us anticipated such a vitriolic response. The abuse that has followed has been nothing short of shameful. But rest assured, whatever they throw at us, it won't do anything to sway me or my colleagues from the principles that sit behind what we wrote. There you go. I'll link to this article also at tomwoods.com/1767. I don't have a whole lot more to say to you this morning, uh, or today. Well, that's when I'm recording. I record in the morning. There you go. There's your uh, bit of inside information. But I wanted to share this all the same and put all those resources in one convenient location. So for right now, that location is tomwoods.com slash 1767. I mean, this is the standard way the other side behaves, is to intimidate, make people afraid to speak their minds and shut them down. Imagine if it were reversed. I mean, there are people who think that uh, under Trump, we've been heading toward fascism or whatever. If we were, you would know it, okay? You would know it. If Imagine if Scott Atlas were, were, were trying to shut down scientists or get them not published or whatever, we'd never hear the end of it. But of course, it's the opposite. Okay, we are, and, and everybody's kind of accepted this, that we all know that this is the way these people act and that they want to intimidate and shut people down and call them names and accuse them of venality and, and uh, whatever. You know, that we know that's how they act and everybody somehow has come to accept this. So it's nice to see somebody on the left and who's an Oxford epidemiologist stand up and say, this is disgusting behavior and you people should be ashamed of yourselves. Good, good. We need much, much, much more of this. If you haven't signed the Great Barrington Declaration, you're crazy. Go over to gbdeclaration.org and go do that. And I'll also link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1767. And with that, that is the end of our episode for today. If you like and appreciate what I'm doing, doggone it, you would warm my heart by becoming a supporting listener of this show. 
by going to supportinglisteners.com. I try to give you guys as much as I possibly can in return to show my gratitude for the support. And when you see all the things that you do get over there, I think you're going to be quite pleased indeed. So supportinglisteners.com is the website. I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.